You're listening to the Australian Water Association podcast series. My name is Peter Dredge and joining me is Hemant Oja. Hemant is a director at the Institute for Studies and Development Worldwide. He's also an adjunct associate professor at the University of Canberra. Welcome, Hemant. Thank you, Peter. So, Hemant, you're doing this review study on climate change risks to water security. Can you give me some background to the study? Well, this study was conducted with the goal of understanding uh, climate risk in Asia-Pacific region with regard to water security. Um, And this was designed uh, considering the scale and intensity of uh, impact that climate change is having. And as a result of that, uh, the problem of water insecurity uh, being uh, getting uh, getting worse and worse. Uh, For instance, uh, at the moment, 1.7 billion people lack basis access to to water. And this number will actually rise to 5.2 billion by 2050. So the scale of water insecurity problem is quite huge in this region. And climate change is driving this insecurity. So our study had three objectives. First, to understand the intensity of risk currently as well as in future, considering the likely scenarios of climate change. And then secondly, to assess uh, the responses that is uh, being actually generated at the moment uh, by different actors from local communities to national government. And then thirdly, to uh, identify principles and strategies to, to move ahead. And this analysis directly speaks to uh, SDG goal 6, which is about ensuring uh, water security and and safe drinking water and sanitation services. Um, and in this study, uh, which was uh, conducted in partnership with Australian Water Partnership here in Australia, Uh, We actually collected information from academic sources, from policy sources, from uh, websites and other great literatures. And we captured 12 different case studies all the way from Pakistan, came to India to pick the case of Chennai, and then taking cases Himalayan, you know, cases in, in India and Nepal. And then coming to uh, Myanmar, to Singapore, which is one of the best examples of water resource management and uh, water supply systems, Jakarta. And then we also picked up uh, cases from from the Pacific. So from all this information, uh, we tried to generate some critical insights with regard to how we can manage climate risk in this Indo-Pacific region. Can you give me an, an idea of the type of sources that you discovered through your searches? That's an interesting question, Peter. I found more than 600 relevant documents, and these were coming from different categories, yeah. One, obviously, the academic work. And then secondly, there are quite a few international assessment work conducted by 
agencies like Asian Development Bank, World Bank, you know. And then third one, these days, not surprisingly, you can find websites of every small organization, even community organizations, you know, they have small websites and they put some updates and this kind of podcast maintained by media and research institutes. So I actually captured a quite broad range of uh, evidence, not just the conventional scientific evidence, uh, but actually the whole spectrum of information that is available in the web. And Hemant, what are some of the key findings that you want to share? The first thing is this region is facing a really you know, critical climate risk. There is really um, a scientific consensus uh, on this finding, right? If you if you look at the report from World Bank, if you look at the report from United Nations, if you look at the look at any report from IPCC, or if you look at any reports from uh, international water research organizations, World Meteorological Organizations, and here in Australia, uh, Bureau of Meteorology, CSIRO, you know, so everyone is saying that well, this region is going to face uh, higher and higher uh, intensity of climate risks, right? So this is one finding, and the second finding is well, the region is not homogeneous. Uh, there are quite a few, you know, socio-ecological regions, you know, for instance, the Himalayan region has very different kind of climate risk. It has floods for four months and drought for six months. And if you come down to Myanmar, uh, the dry zone of Myanmar, then it has very little rainfall and, and water. Uh, although there are again big rivers passing through the region, but then technically uh, the access to such water uh, for small farmers is really difficult. Different countries and communities have different capabilities, you know, to understand and respond to this risk. If you take the case of Singapore, for example, it has an excellent capability to understand the risk, to predict the risk, and then uh, you know put measures you know in place to to manage the risk. And then if you uh, take the case of uh, cities like Jakarta, you know they are struggling to protect themselves from rising sea and subsiding at the land surface uh, so and then third finding third and of course the uh, the final most important uh, finding from this review is that um, there are whole range of responses and innovations coming up you know from the local level mostly at the local level sometimes at sub regional level sometimes at country level itself but what is lacking is those small scale innovations and positive responses are not supported, are not promoted, you know, by uh, national governments or international uh, agencies well, you know. Uh, so there are seeds of hope, you know, coming up on the ground, uh, but they are not adequately supported by players working at 
the higher level at national and international level. One thing Hemadai noted you wrote was that international players focus either on measuring risks or proposing generic solutions. Can you expand on that for me? My point there is there is now a lot of you know effort by international players to develop some matrix or some framework or you know some sort of guideline to assess the problem and then bring the finding to global or regional or sometimes at national level. That is okay for national and regional policy processes. That knowledge is useful. But what is missing, you know, for instance, if you take the case of farming communities in the dry zones of Myanmar, they are not benefited by regional analysis. Not even uh, a sub-regional analysis, you know, that cover uh, the entire uh, river basin. Uh, they are actually, you know, looking for analysis at community level, at farm level, you know, at small watershed level, uh, at small aquifer level, you know, uh, that can actually support their decision making, you know, that can actually provide uh, critical reflections, you know, to their thinking, right? So at the moment, the knowledge, there is a skill bias in knowledge production everyone is producing knowledge for the global international community but very few people are producing knowledge for those local communities and uh, small scale uh, water management uh, water manager and and decision makers right so this is what i mean uh, by that uh, point yeah you mentioned some positive aspects of what happens in Singapore. Um, but I'm curious, are there any other local innovations uh, emerging that you can identify and tell us about? Yeah, there are uh, quite a few. Um, if you take the case of India and Nepal, for example, uh, there are strong community-based water management systems, uh, both on, in rural areas as well as urbanizing areas, right? And right. these community-based systems, they operate in collaboration with local municipal government, local rural councils. Sometimes they are supported well by, you know, provincial and national governments as well, right? And then the other one is, again, from India and Nepal, you can find examples of city-level governments uh, undertaking long-term mapping of climate risk and then developing uh, participatory forums uh, to discuss both uh, research, you know, emerging research findings, as well as concerns of different water stakeholders in the city. Um, and then uh, there are uh, basin level uh, work also going on in different countries, uh, supported by international players. So basin level planning work uh, being done in Myanmar, you know, um, and India and Nepal. Um, yeah, so so this is also another uh, area uh, of uh, interesting and positive innovation. And then there are also uh, early warning systems, especially in relation to flood risk. And I have seen in India, you know. Um, 
different uh, organizations using mobile technology to send uh, weather forecast information through mobile, you know, to different farmers. Um, so those sort of things are happening actually at the at the local level. Looking ahead, um, how do we overcome some of these barriers to to good progress? That's a very important question. Um, again, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we need to downscale our knowledge making process. At the moment, we all are working at very high level, you know, in terms of scale, national, international. And then there is also uh, a message to national policymakers. Uh, policy processes are driven by international support, and there is not enough interactive endogenous, you know, exercise within the country, right? So, yeah. so international agencies can actually support uh, local policy researchers, think tanks, policymakers to develop their own methodology that they think useful. And, and that way you can actually engage them in the process of knowledge making. And that way they can own the knowledge, they can utilize the knowledge. Uh, and at the moment that is not happening. And the third message is uh, I think we got to balance this big infrastructure thing with ecosystem, uh, you know, property and and capability. So that requires going beyond traditional engineering and working more with nature and community to find more holistic and sustainable solutions. Uh, we require really new and innovative and transformative ways of managing water, managing climate risk. Just doing you know a bit of incremental thing here and there is not going to be enough. You know we are approaching tipping point, and if we don't fundamentally change our ways, then we will cross that tipping point and we cannot come back. So we need a strong water industry and water service sector, you know, to ensure water security for growing economy, for households, for families, for cities, you know. Uh, and and we need active role of uh, private sector as well. We cannot just rely on on communities and and the government. So how do we bring all these actors and players work together to develop water service industry as well? Well, thank you for sharing your research. I've been speaking to Hemant Oja. Hemant is a director at the Institute for Studies and Development Worldwide and an adjunct associate professor at the University of Canberra. Thanks, Hemant. Thank you very much, Peter.